the Mindset Game Podcast and I'm your host, James Roberts. I'm a two-time Paralympian, online training and nutrition coach and owner of James Robert Fitness. Why not check out some of my free content by going over to my website, fitamputee.co.uk forward slash free dash resources. Each week on the Mindset Game Podcast, we bring you an inspirational athlete, message or expert talking about human optimization to teach you how to change the perception of your mindset and to become one percent better make sure to share this with your friends on your instagram story on twitter on facebook they can find this episode on apple Podcasts, spotify or anywhere that they listen to podcasts by searching for mindset game podcast get out of your comfort zone I think it's it's too easy to exist a comfortable life without challenges, without issues, without problems. That you learn certain things that don't come from textbooks. So that's ironic, as uh, you know, doing what I do, the majority comes from textbooks. But uh, I I was a kind of kid in school that would do anything to get out of reading in front of groups, like social anxiety, like massive issue and things like that. And, it wasn't to the point where I was like, I, I have a message that I want to give people. I want to educate people. If I'm going to do that, I need to get over this anxiety of something that probably won't. In my mind, I'm thinking I'm going to start reading. And I'm probably going to wet my pants or something. I don't know. It's like something crazy. They're like, what? That's just never going to happen. But you just get these issues, these stresses about potential stresses, right? Just something that we've evolved to do. Without further ado, let's get into today's show. And on today's show, I've got Lee Bell and Paul Rimmer. So welcome onto the show, both of you. Hey, James. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, thanks for having us on. Really appreciate it. Um, look forward to, to chat with you and hopefully uh, give some value to your listeners. So first of all, Lee, for those hmm. listeners that don't know a lot about you, can you kind of give a brief introduction of kind of where you've come from from a strength and conditioning background and how you've kind of created the, your business with Paul sure um I'll give you I'll give you a short and as a bridge version as I possibly can I've been been involved in fitness now for over 20 years I had my first job in the gym at 14 um just cl- kind of cleaning up and lifting weights when the managers weren't looking and that kind of thing the rules were very different back then um, I did my gym instructor at 16 and my PT at 18 and uh, kind of lived that life and been immersed in that since. Um, I did my initial degree at Sheffield Hallam University and that was in sports science uh, with very generic spread across different modules, so psychology, nutrition, physiology and such. And then um, kind of honed a, an interest, I think, more towards the education side of things. So I moved away from PT into delivering uh, PT qualifications. So a, a lot of teaching, a lot of assessing around that, and uh, to kind of gain a better understanding and underpinning knowledge. I did a master's in exercise physiology. Uh, when you deliver the PT modules, you invariably come across quite a range of people. And I really enjoyed delivering PT courses to uh, undergraduates. So those who were already on a sports science course. And that kind of got me into associate lecturing. And now I, I'm a lecturer at Sheffield Hallam University. Not been there too long, been there a few months, but I deliver on a, a wide range of courses, ranging from level four all the way up to master's degree um, in strength and conditioning, physiology, a little bit of nutrition, um, a, a, a full wide berth of things, really. And if I pose the same question to you now, Paul, 
Yeah, um, of course. So um, I'll reverse. I'll reverse engineer this. Well, in some regards. So in, in terms of in terms of sports, I was kind of always played sports competitive, competitively as a kid growing up. Um, football, rugby, a little bit of MMA and wrestling and stuff before it got really popular and cool. Um, went off to university to study a degree in um, health, exercise, and nutrition. It was during that degree that I actually met a very good friend of Lee's who we grew up with, um, a gentleman called David Stacker, who's a nutritionist. He's worked with a lot of pro boxers, fighters, stuff like that as well. Um, after we graduated, me and David didn't know each other that well. We kind of sort of drifted apart and reconnected through Facebook several years later. And that's how me and Lee met. Um, we just met for a coffee one day. We had some mutual interests. We started discussing about um, education within the fitness industry, people we'd love to, to listen to and to, to, you know, to go and visit and stuff. And then we just kind of had this quasi-wacky idea of, well, why instead of going to them, why don't we bring them to us? And that is the literally sat around having a coffee. That's the founding moment of TRA um, Performance Education. I wrote a joke contract on the I think the back of an napkin saying, I promise not to screw you over. Literally, I think I've still got it somewhere hidden away. Just in case we become really famous, we'll put it in an office somewhere or something like that. Um, but in the meantime, between me having that uh, association with David and um, several years later meeting up with Lee, I then went after my degree, went and did a master's in sports injury and rehabilitation, which is a bit random from a nutrition background, but it was a bit of everything really. Um, then I went and did a PhD in healthcare sciences, which was biomechanics based. And then it was really during my PhD that I, I rediscovered my passion for nutrition and started working with a few people that just asked me for bits of help. And then from that point, it's kind of um, steamrolled now to to working with a wide range of athletes, um, a nutrition consultant to uh, Manchester Store Professional Ice Hockey Team based in Manchester in the UK. But along that journey, spent a bit of time out in the US and now work with um, well, work with a couple of Detroit Red Wings players. Um, so your American audience will, you know, um, will, will obviously recognise that as a, as a sporting, well, a, a, a national sporting brand. So I've just literally got back from um, from the US. So I spent some time out there as well. Got to hang out in the, uh, in the locker room with the Red Wings, meet some of the players, and see all their facilities, which are phenomenal. Um, so yeah, that's kind of kind of me really. And, and now I do a little bit of uh, consultancy work with gyms, making you know educational stuff for the staff. Um, work with clients and then do some kind of corporate well-being stuff as well. So delivering seminars, workshops, behavior change type stuff in a, in a sort of workplace environment. Okay. And what was kind of the initial idea behind setting up your education? Well, we'll call them seminars and workshops in the Northeast, well, not Northeast, sorry, in the North, predominantly in Sheffield, as opposed to what is probably generically the norm of having it safer say more specifically in london mm. so i said that one paul yeah go for it man yeah so it's so i i guess from my perspective in teaching personal trainers for what has been probably the best part of 10 years is identifying after they move into industry where the lack of education routes exist. So there seemed to be a huge gap between coming out of what is classed technically in terms of like the, the layering of um, qualification structure and A level, which is what PT is uh, level three to then what would be the next route up, which would be a degree at level five and, and technically kind of non-specific for personal trainers, unless you're moving into athletic populations or, or really down the health line. 
So a lot of PTs coming back to me after qualifications and kind of saying like, I really want to learn something, but I don't know what I want to learn. I don't know who I want to learn from. There's so many people online. I don't know who to listen to, who's right, who's wrong, who you should stay away from. And, and that was the initial kind of conversation and which was a really good meeting with Paul when we first met and we talk, talked about who is it that we would want to listen to? Who would we want to, to see um, if we were going to learn something? So we, essentially, I think, on the other side of that napkin, Paul, we, we wrote a list, didn't we, of all the people yeah, yeah. we respect in industry and who we really value and those kind of people that we would literally fly around the world to listen to. So we made that list. We then kind of costed it all out. So if we were going to go on a 12-month tour and kind of listen and watch all these people, how much would it cost? And as you can imagine, it's quite expensive. So then we looked into, well, you know, we can identify a gap in the north of England particularly. There's a lot of things going down, down south, but... What's happening in the north of England, essentially not much. There's no face-to-face seminars. And the, the great thing about face-to-face seminars, it, what you don't get from online is uh, interaction and networking. And there's a big value to that. So we just put the feelers out. We got in touch with some friends of ours, um, some of the you know the, the world-renowned speakers in various sectors of their industry, just tentatively put a message out saying, would you be interested to come to Sheffield? We've got a great venue at the university. Um, would it work for you? And... Um, I think because of the credentials that Paul and I have, and I don't say that egotistically, but kind of the experiences and qualifications that we have, a lot of these experts realized that we were uh, legitimate. You know, we were kosher. We were doing it for the right reasons. It wasn't all profit driven. It was just about an experience for people that were attending. Um, And we just kind of went on a whim and we just booked these people in and uh, gambled, you know, literally gambled on it. And, um, and it's, it's, it's worked really well. And we've enjoyed the last 12 months, which, Seems like we've been doing it longer, but it's been yeah. exactly twelve months since our first seminar. I don't, I don't know if the, the feeling feeling like it's gone on for longer is a good thing or a bad thing at this point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hard to know. So, isn't it? Time flies when you're having fun. So, uh, but I don't know the opposite way. So, yeah, I mean, I, I just like mirror those sentiments really. Um, and obviously, the first speaker we had, we aimed big. We didn't just go creep out the gate. And I think if we'd have done that, it may have put us off because. You know, we don't have a massive market exposure as, as names in the fitness industry mainly are massively well-known. Um, you know, but we, we were fortunate enough to know people who people might consider to be influencers in the industry. So I'd interacted with these people through various social media channels. I mean, Facebook can be used for great evil, but it's also a very great tool in terms of interaction with these people and sort of putting your hand up and going, look, I'm not an idiot. You know, can we be friends type stuff? Um and it was, yeah, so the initial, our first event was with uh, Brad Schoenfeld. So we didn't mess around in terms of going for big names. We'd, I'd never organized a conference or a seminar before. Lee hadn't, um, didn't know what to expect in terms of, you know, I never booked a flight for anyone else but myself. So it was kind of, you know, a bit of a thrown in at the deep end. And yeah, it's been, it's been a cool learning curve. And we've sort of realized, you know, we've made some mistakes along the way, which is what you've got to do. But the important thing is that you kind of learn from those mistakes. And actually, um, I think for any business in its kind of first formative year to not be losing money is a massively positive thing. And I think the reason that it works well, and I think a lot of people who try and do this, who try and monetize these seminars, they think that they're going to make loads of money from it. They think they're going to sell hundreds and hundreds of tickets and they're going to make loads of money. The reality is, and it's something that sometimes you have to remind yourself when you're in a business because you can get drawn in by the money. Is actually Lee's got his own consultancy stuff going on, um, his content and you know some of the consultancy stuff. Does I've got my own things going on that supports me um, financially. So this is this is a um, 
it's not even a vanity pursuit. It's, it's pretty much the opposite of that, really. It's a pursuit in terms of actually neither of us really get a chance to educate ourselves as much as we'd like anymore because we're just busy doing things. So actually, it's nice to be able to bring these people in, be educated by them, build those relationships, network, and the monetary value we get is, is more a transference of our skills and our education to our clients or our consultancies than it is really a direct um, result of the income that we get from from TRA. So it's not that we're not for profit. That's not how we view it. You know, we like to make pennies so we can buy nice equipment and get better venues and get bigger and better um, guests to more frequent events. But, you know, it's not, it's, that, it's not a money-driven endeavor. And I think when people go into it with that mindset, that's why if you look at a lot of the promotion companies as well, if that's what you do, um, I think people would be in for a bit of a rude awakening if they think, oh, well, this sounds like a good idea. It sounds dead easy. We're going to make tens of thousands of pounds a year. That's not, that's not what happens out of this, I'm afraid. But to us, both of you, what, what was the law to happen in Sheffield per se to say Manchester, which is more of a, obviously, uh, an airport hub, so it'd be easier yeah. for the likes of guests from, you say, continental Europe, and some of the areas of the United States is easier to get to. They don't have, then have to transfer from Manchester or obviously Gatwick or Heathrow down south to be able to get up to Sheffield. Um, I'll get that one, mate, and I'll let you talk the rest of the podcast then. Um, the, the, the answer was simple, really. It was convenience. So it might not be inconvenient for those guys as such, but we had good relationships with Sheffield Hallam already um, through Lee. I'd studied there as well. That's where I did my master's. And we never crossed paths at that time either. Um, so, you know, I knew the location, knew the venue, knew the facilities, knew the area. I was living in Leeds at the time, um, Leeds from Sheffield. So in terms of logistics and trying to keep costing down initially, because we were a bit worried about, yes, we didn't want to make a ton of money, but we also didn't want to lose bucket loads. Um, and then, from that as well, we've been really fortunate with, with Sheffield Hallam because they've, they've really supported us and we've got good connections there. And this was prior to, to Lee lecturing there as well. Um, so it, it kind of made sense that, yes, it might be a slight inconvenience for some people, but as far as, as far as how it made sense for us and the population of people immediately around us. So if we're trying to sell tickets to an event, particularly the smaller ones or the events that we've run, which you know, are ourselves talking or people who might not have a reputation – we're heavily reliant on the people who've been loyal to us and supported our careers so far, which are the trainers that Lee's taught, the trainers that Lee's taught that I've gone on and mentored in some way in terms of nutrition or whatever it is. So, you know, there's an element there of, of loyalty to those guys where we're not just going to say, well, you guys are from Sheffield, Leeds, that area. Right, well, now you've got to travel over to Manchester to come and see this person speak when, you know, it's not, it's less of an inconvenience for us to, to get them to put them on, you know, go and pick them up or put them on a train or fly them into a different airport and, and have that as well. So, yes, it was done for a little bit of convenience, but it's also done partly because the original ethos was we want to bring people to the people that we know that we know would appreciate this and those people running around the, the sort of, you know, West Yorkshire, South Yorkshire area. Um, probably a follow-on question to that would be what benefit do, obviously – the undergraduates, the postgraduate students of Sheffield Hallam and, and maybe to some degree the University of Sheffield, are they able to t tap into those resources and come along? And does the university to some extent uh, pay some of the costs to be able to come 
to those workshops and seminars to be able to give a little bit extra to their students? There is an element of enrichment for undergrads and postgrads. So we offer free places to anyone that's a current Hallam student, which I, I kind of think highlights the non-financial driven incentives of what TRA is. Um, I, I sit in a funny position where I own or, or co-own, sorry, Paul, um, a business, an external business to the university, but I'm also involved as a member of staff at the university. So as much as there's potential for conflict of interest where that business TRA sits is that we essentially rent Sheffield Hallam as a facility, mm. which is a world-class facility, if I'm being honest. The strength of conditioning and, and, and uh, laboratories and classrooms are absolutely world-class, but yet we offer them in return for allowing us to be involved with them um, free access to their students. And th- the benefit of that for students, and this is where potentially I sometimes have to work quite hard with the students to say, this is not just another lecture that you can attend. You know, this is someone that is pioneering within their own sector of the industry, which you won't necessarily learn from a curriculum. So for example, we had Lauren Banakova. Lauren's fantastic academically as a practitioner, phenomenal. He came and did a talk about evidence-based practice, but also how that's helped to lead his career to where he is. So in essence, it's not just learning about academic knowledge or industry knowledge but it's also guiding students and other people that attend for particular routes within career how to carve out niches and how to learn from the mistakes other people have made as well well that's invaluable really oh most definitely yeah yeah it's just trying to get the students to see that sometimes can be challenging because they like it's likely said it they may perceive it as being just another sit down and be talked at by someone who's got the title doctor. The novelty factor isn't there for them. But, you know, there's certain speakers where people do get excited about it. But just to kind of answer the, the other part of that question, it's like, no, we don't, we don't we don't receive any financial support from the university. It's logistical, is how I would phrase it, to an extent. Um, but, yeah, it's not it's not a financial thing. We're not affiliated. With, I don't I don't know if Lee has, but I've not signed anything with the, uh, with the university in terms of contracts and stuff as well. Oh, so. okay. this, would, this would be mega awkward if I had. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, could be, this could turn into a really... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can categorically say, no, I haven't. All right, that's all right. So, yeah, um, so, yeah it's, it's, you know, it's not to say that we're always going to be at Sheffield either. Um, yeah. I mean, we will always run events there, but it's not to say that if, if an opportunity came over to say, um, take one of our speakers to a different part of the country... You know, so if anyone wanted to reach out to us and say, well, actually, we don't understand the logistics. We're a bit fearful of this, but we've got a venue. You know, can we work on a deal with you guys the way you do the promotion, you you do the logistical stuff, and we can provide a venue in some free places? You know, we're, we're open to that. We're not, you know, we're not protectionist in what we do. We already have, or in the, the process of having um, several working relationships with other people who do kind of similar stuff so that we can make the, you know, we can put the best value to both people who want to come and visit because we've got more locations, but actually because it's not massive amounts of profits we make, we can kind of split costs and, and maximize the potential of that as well by building these relationships. So we're not one of these people who, if we get approached about running events or hosting events in conjunction with other people that we're like, no, we're not doing that. Um, you know, it's our business, you know, my precious go full golem on them. We'll, uh, we're quite happily, um, you know, quite happily with people approach us with, a uh, with, um, a respectful suggestion and just don't expect us to do all the donkey work for them and then them just take all the money then you know we listen to those kind of people as well i think you raise a good point there paul i think that's probably how would i term this the 
demonistic side of the, obviously the industry because it is so cutthroat to start off with you kind of lose that perspective it's like well i'm taught from day one to be in it for myself and you kind of lose sight of those networks which in essence and this is one in itself is a relationship as, as lee was mentioning before we came on air me and him have spoken for months be it from a social media perspective this is the first time we've spoken face to face so it's yeah. it's having that inclination and a sense of get up and go and not be afraid to try something new where i think is i think but maybe when we go into the industry to start off for the right reasons and why we get qualified to come into the industry we, we are at that level footing but I think once you're thrust into that gym environment, it's like, well, I'm going to do everything and anything to make my business successful. Mm -hmm. And I think there's an element of that. You're dead right. And there's that element. And it's almost a, it's a, it's quite a negative mix of, you know, being competitive, being self-employed, needing to earn money to put food on a table and an industry that is largely and hopefully it's going to change, but largely based around insecurity. So you've got a lot of people who are, um, if they put an opinion out there, they'll get shouted down at and they, they become insecure about their own opinions. You know, um, they, or it, it, there's, I, I, it's very rare you see a reasoned debate within the fitness industry about a specific topic. It, it, it resorts to name calling, um, you know, that, that sort of thing, which means it's very difficult for people to, uh, you know, to put themselves out there um, and and they do become quite defensive, insecure, um, and there's a competitiveness to that as well. And I think if you, if my advice would be to anyone out there who is a trainer and stuff, it's like, don't be afraid to voice your opinion. Um, and if it's wrong or someone's got a difference of opinion, like don't take that personally because your ego will kill you in this industry if you're not careful because eventually if you just keep putting the barriers up, um, certain people with bigger reputations might might pick up on that and, you know, it can, can ruin your career if you're not careful. You know, there's, there's tempting things around there to try and take shortcuts. So, you know, invest in your education. It's okay not to know everything. Um, invest in the right kind of people. But you, but you are dead right. Um, you know, it is a very, very competitive, can be very cutthroat. But I also think if you are secure and confident in what you do, this, I'm talking from a purely coaching, personal training perspective, um, there's, there's a lot of good, there's a lot of coaches out there but the number of very good coaches out there are minimal because the people don't invest in their education. They think they get the level three and then that's the made. They can just, you know, they're going to make money. But most of the coaches I know that do very well for themselves in terms of either online or in person. Most of them are probably the nicest, most helpful people you'll ever meet in terms of offering advice. Um, you know, it may be busy, so they might not get back in touch with you straight away. But if you need help and support, you know, they'll, they'll always try and do those sorts of things. So yeah, you, you're right. You're right in a certain. Uh, you're definitely right. Um, but I don't know. Morally and ethically, it's not a place that me and Lee come from. Um, we don't particularly, you know, if we disagree with someone's business morals and ethics, we just won't work with them. It doesn't mean that we're going to just go out and start trying to build a reputation by slagging them off on social media to make ourselves look better. It's just not the way we do things. Um, and I don't know if that's because we've kind of come into this. I mean, we're, we're both academics of sorts. So it means that we kind of we have to be a bit more guarded about what we say. Uh, although in the past, I haven't been. I can't speak for Lee. Um, but I think there's a maturity that happens when you become more confident and competent. Where 
you just you just get so busy you don't have time to deal with that stuff. That's the reality of it. You know, I get I used to get tagged in stuff all the time with my friends about certain topics, and I'd be like, and I'd go out tenaciously, teeth in. You know, this is wrong. This is why. Rah, 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 rah. And now I'm just like, yeah, I've got clients to service or a business to service or you know, educational content to write and. Hopefully, most trainers will transcend that and get to the point where they're so busy, the small stuff doesn't bother them anymore, and they're secure enough to not worry about competing for business because you get good, you don't compete. That's the truth of the matter. I think something, Paul, we, we learned very quickly was just to focus on our own internal internal environment, wasn't it? Like We focus yeah. on what we're doing, and we make that as positive as we possibly can. What goes around the periphery with other people and other companies really doesn't matter to us i don't think we care that much because it doesn't impact on what we do if we see someone who wants to run something similar to us let them that's fine if we want to see someone be underhand which i mean no one's underhand with tra no one's underhand with us but you kind of do see it very regularly in industry let's not focus on it we just focus on what we're doing blank everything else out build a company based around education and positivity and kind of not feel that it's necessary to get bogged down in like you said paul some of these endless threads of arguments where there's no conclusion no one wins no one gains it just brings you down and i think yeah we are mature <laughs> are we the same age i think the same age i'm old i'm <laughs> um, i think we just uh, i'm 37 mate all right yeah we're the same age that's fine all right you just look older um so we have learned that <laughs> we've just learned i think just to be objective in what we do be as helpful as what we possibly can to as many people as we can and as syrupy as that sounds that's that is the ethos of tra and you know to take a i know you i know you're big into your mindset stuff as well and to take a kind of stoic approach to it you can only control what you can control it's wasted energy to worry about what anybody else is doing you know um and if they're spending negative energy on you then you're kind of winning realistically because they're not focusing on what they should be doing to progress their careers or their business or whatever it is so as someone who's um, reactionary and had, who can be rageful, as I've kind of got older and mellowed a little bit, been a bit more sort of stoic in my belief systems. And um, I think I commented on what you said a meme, like Marcus Aurelius meme a while ago. And I commented on that about, you know, it's, it's uh, I can't even remember what it was now as well, but it's kind of like, you know, I read a lot of that kind of stoic philosophy and stuff. And definitely if anyone out there is interested in kind of mindset related stuff, which they obviously are because they're listening to you, but a kind of stoic approach to control what you can control. If you can't control it, try your best not to worry about it as, as you can. And that's kind of, you know, that's the kind of approach that I take. And um, Lee's rageful. Like he's always, he's always yelling at me for doing things. Yeah. And I just read about muscles. That's it. Like nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but Lee, you, you would do it in a different sense because obviously with your strength and conditioning background and probably my, my background from sport to some degree is I can go either direction. Okay. I could pick up a book and do self-development. Um, oh, what's the other one, but we'll, we'll talk about that in terms of self-development or, or I could hit the gym to get that frustration out. So it's, it, I coined it in a previous episode I did as we're recording this, uh, I spoke to a musician and his release was obviously doing basketball. He had a love for it as a youngster, but didn't see it as a f- future career. Mm. But his his outlet to be able to quote unquote meditate. It's his time to reflect and kind of get away from what a sense is the hustle and grind and be able to 
we'll say have those five to ten minutes to himself yeah I think I exist in a, a very odd world up here in my head in that my hobby is my job and my job is my hobby so I'm, I'm doing a PhD right now which means I need to read a lot um, I'm lucky in that I will read all day for what would be PhD purposes mm-hmm. in an evening I will read related stuff to the PhD for fun and that's really sad and really nerdy, but that, that's the world that I exist in. So I'm quite lucky in that my relaxation is related to what I do for my occupation. But I think that's a good thing because that's something you're able to pass down for the better, depending on how the student wants to take on that information. That's going to very much come down to the individual, or what they want to take on board. But it's soaking that up and being in essence, as close to as you were as a child or as a youngster, where it's very easily to be absorb information. Obviously, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I've tried, don't get me wrong, I've tried the Andy McNabb and the Wilbur Smith and the action novels and things like that. It doesn't do it for me. But uh, yeah, I mean, music music is my my chill out. And uh, I think if Noel ever wants to get Oasis together and he wants me to fill in for Liam, like I'll drop TRA like tomorrow. Paul, you put that on record, man. I don't care. <laughs> I, I'm straight there. But uh, yeah, music's my thing. But yeah, I, I'm just lucky, I think, in that I, I love what I do. I'm passionate about it. You know, I met Paul who, who shares that passion as well. And I think that's the driver behind TRA is that, again, it's not the, the profit that comes with it. It's the ride. It's the journey, the positivity that comes through that. I think I think in terms of like the learning aspect of things, I'm a bit more of a locust than Lee. Like Lee's got expansive knowledge across a wide area, but Lee loves muscle physiology and all that kind of thing. Whereas I've kind of flitted like in my personal academic business, I've flitted flitted from getting right into the nitty gritty and writing courses on you know uh, metabolic pathways and hormonal regulation right down at that kind of cellular level, right the way up now where I've kind of transcended the I need to have knowledge to use big, long, shiny words to sound clever right the way to, well, actually, how the hell do I get a client to adhere to what I'm doing? Not, you know, you can talk about mechanistic stuff all you want and don't worry, it's great. And it's, you know, it's fascinating and it's good to know that and have those underpinnings because, you know, the cell leads up to the organism eventually, hopefully. But that that kind of mindset stuff is, is really fascinating. And um, something I'm increasingly looking at is, is, we, we talk about individuals when we're working, but actually how do you create a positive mindset towards um, nutrition and training within a team setting? Because the assumption is that an athlete is some robot that just does and is, you know, is nutrition's amazing and they train hard and they look after themselves. And I can see you shaking your head because I know you're an athlete. So, you know, that's not always the case. So actually what fascinates me now is trying to take some of these, um, take some, take some of these kind of ideas that we use with individual stuff, individual counseling, like cognitive behavioral therapy. We were lucky enough to have Gary Mendoza to deliver a, um, a few seminars. Fascinating excellence. Of everything we've done, I think personally as a professional, that's the thing I've taken the most value from. But even now working in a team session, with a team session, a team setting, which is they are professional athletes, but they're not what you would call um you know, they're not the pressure of them isn't to be a top top level athlete where you know that that, that media scrutiny is on there, so they get away with a little bit more than they would do normally. But what's fascinating is is it's taken my reading away from mechanistic stuff now to looking at well, actually, if you've got a team culture of poor eating or poor training, well, how do we rectify an entire team culture? So I've gone right the way the other end of the spectrum where I'm looking at a lot of research into kind of 
um, like sexual health and things like that and um, like AIDS prevention because of peer-led intervention is important for that. So it's how do you, you know, trying to identify people within the team who set that culture for the coming seasons or within that and how do you get those to deliver your message and stuff as well. So, you know, I'm like a bit of an academic locust in that sense. It's like, you know, I've done some biomechanic stuff. So my PhD was mostly in, um, done some sports injury, done some nutrition. And it's, you know, I, I kind of like to float around a bit. And then you know, I started as a content writer because that was paying the bills, a bit of nutrition stuff on the side. Now it's like I've got two performance labs, doing some team stuff, some consultancy work. So, yeah, Lee's, Lee's got a lot more focus and attention than I have. And I think that's why we kind of work well together because he kind of pulls me back in with things we've agreed to do that I've kind of I've gone in and I've gone, yeah, 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 I've sought that. And it doesn't happen. So Lee's, Lee's a lot more methodical than I am. He suits the research environment better than I do, I think. Um, no, no comment. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> what, what I will add, what I will add is, and this is probably for the listeners that are maybe um, on or coming towards the end of a sports science degree, is that Paul and I, going back as as much as twelve months ago, were essentially doing the same job. We were both content writers, so we were basically writing fitness-related content either for websites or then to sell to websites. So it was either commissioned or we were trying to sell it. Within the space of 12 months, and we come from the same background, we've, we've gone like this. You know, I've gone really down the mechanistic stuff. That's what I love. That's where I'm comfortable. Paul's gone into the real world of coaching, actually dealing with people. I'm not. I'm dealing with textbooks and laboratories and things like that. And this, this is the beauty of fitness and the beauty of sports science is that where you end up can be led by your passion. It can be led by your knowledge and it can be led by your need for revenue if you want it to be. I don't know what the longevity is behind that, but um, we all start in the same position, but we kind of grow and we learn as we go along. And yeah, we run the same company. I think that has value because we kind of, we do have these coffee meetings where we can discuss certain situations and put our own slants and leanings on it and, you know, people like Gary, I got a lot from that, but I would get something different to what Paul would, to what someone else would, and someone else would. And again, sports science is just cool, isn't it? In the loosest possible sense of the word cool, but cool. I, I like it. <laughs> Thank you, mate. Yeah, I'll back you up on that one. I'll back you up on that one. But I'll add my two cents to that as well. I think for me, coming into the fitness industry, I did it the other way around. I, I did my degree first and did sports science uh, and then did a postgraduate in well, completely like, like you said, Paul. I kind of went off on a tangent completely. I did sociology of exercise and uh, <laughs> sociology of sport and exercise, and it's only probably now that I'm probably able to utilize. It. And I've obviously got because it's not, I'm not completed the masters. I've got the books on the shelf, so I need to go away and get a better comprehension of the subjects. And then it will make me a better coach because I can be able to say, well, this is comes down to the environment where you live is going to be a good proponent as to why you are doing certain things. And it's going to have a bearing be on well, sport, your health and magnitude of things. So coming back to that, I've kind of done it from a perspective of flipped it on his head. I've kind of gone in done all my education at school, gone on to university and then come down a level to, well, it's not, no offense to anybody that obviously doing their level two or level three, I've done it the other way around where it was very, I'm not going to say easy, but it was easier than say somebody that doesn't have the background that 
when I picked up the level three textbook for, oh, I, I did my course with tra- the training room. Hmm. It was, well, okay, this is still in my subconscious. I did this at university. Let's do the stuff I can't remember and revise that. And when it comes to the exam, okay. I can't remember what I got. I think I got a quite high percentage. People say, oh, well done for that. It's like, well, that's luck because it's multiple choice. You, you, the, 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 the luxury of, okay, I may have got an, e- an easier exam than say somebody else in the room. So it's the luck of the draw for that. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of, uh, of experience to, to go back, to fall back upon, be it from the educational standpoint, but also being an athlete as well. I'm able to utilize that when it comes to it. So I kind of put the ax to the grind when the, comp- the company said to me, well, you have to do your level two as well. Cause I'd already done it previously. It's like, well, we won't recognize that you have to do it anyway. I was very frustrated by that, but that's a different story altogether. It's like, well, okay, I will. And I've been very much when other things have said, oh, you've got to do, you've got to do this to tick a box. Okay. I'll tick your box and we will move forward. And then when it comes to it, we'll, we'll progress from there. But that's my two cents. It's like, well, you don't have to necessarily go from school into personal training. You could go on to f- further education and then come back to it. And then you probably have a, a broader sense of the topic. And then as, as probably, well, I did sports science at undergraduate as well. It's night and day. And what we now, I'm almost a decade removed from when I did mine. Obviously it might be slightly a bit more for you two, but what you, the, you put it to probably a supermarket sense where they're trying to offer as much as they can to stand out as an institution to get you to go. So I think what is it now, Lee, most undergraduate programs are going to do strength, some, some sense of strength conditioning at undergraduate, whereas back in when I did it, you were going to do it at postgraduate before you even saw it. Yeah, there, are, there has been a downward filtration of S&C-related modules into undergraduate, which I think is a good thing. I think at undergraduate, you need to get a flavor of as much as you possibly can. So it's not just about performance modules. There are health and allied professional modules that sit alongside those. And I think that's cool because as an undergraduate, you can try both. You can work out what your passion is, what you enjoy. And then from there, that's when the postgraduate gets very, very specialized. Um, One thing I will add, and and it's just with what you were saying there, is there is no exact route into industry for personal training. I'm I'm talking about getting into personal training, into coaching, because that's my background. Um, The other thing to add as well is that it's a people-centered business personal training. So, you know, the fitness industry is obsessed with things like pyramids. You know, they have one where you've got calories at the bottom, you've got one where you've got whatever frequency of training, whatever it might be. And I think if we had a personal training pyramid, like just being a nice person would be at the bottom because everything else above that is less important. And this is something that I, I try and instill for personal trainers and coaches as well is just be a, a nice person and then build your knowledge on top. So I, I don't know if you two guys have seen this yourself, but you walk into a new gym and, for the majority of personal trainers, it's like you've shit on their doorstep. You know, you get scowls. It's like mega defensive, like, what are you doing in my gym? You know, I could have 500 pounds in my back pocket. I haven't, I'll tell you that now, but I could have 500 pounds in my back pocket. Like, I want some personal training. You know, if someone just goes, morning, how are you? Smiles. It's like, right, I've got a connection with that person already. I know they're cool. You know, I know they're okay. Uh, right, let's, let's see what they know. People buy from people. I know it's a really horrible cliche saying, but, but that's true. So on the basis of that, you don't need a degree to be a good personal trainer. 
You need knowledge. You need to be, to be able to apply what people like me tell you. You don't need to know about lateral transmission of muscles and you don't need to know about traversing canals and bones and all that weird stuff that kind of comes a little bit later on. Like if you want to be a sports scientist, you kind of need to know that stuff. If you want to be a personal trainer, you need to know how to personal train people. And that means balancing knowledge with being able to be a good communicator. And that, that's what that business is. I think it's fascinating, like you were saying there as well, about the classic route. And I think a lot of people who get into personal training, um, you know, they don't know what to do. They like the idea of working out. And people get into personal training because they like training. Mm. Um, the only people who – and that's, that's a good starting point because it means you're probably more likely to want to learn about certain things, and that's great. But it's the assumption that because someone is jacked and tan, or whatever the lingo is these days, you know, that they're automatically going to be a good coach and they get frustrated. But I've also seen that not just with people who rely on their, their physique to sell, and unless you have a very, very good physique, then, you know, like bodybuilders, where it's, if people want a specific result, they will kind of forego the, your ability to actually coach or your ability to get them big and shredded. You know, there's, there's a, a dynamic that depends on the population you're working with. Um, but I've seen it the other way as well, where there's a few PTs or, or PTs that I've worked with, not mentor or anything like that, but I've worked with in businesses where I've, I've been around who are very well educated. And I mean, educated to master's level, very knowledgeable people, but they can't get PT business because they assume their knowledge is enough. They assume that their knowledge is good enough to get clients and they get confused why their client retention is terrible. Uh, whether it's an arrogance that they come across as maybe thinking they know too much to, to be a PT. So their clients go, well, you know, I don't like that attitude. Maybe they're just not good communicators because they've never had to work on that because the forums they come from, it's not as important. Um, you know, as much as I would say I blagged my way through academia to get a PhD, the one thing I remember when I was going for my PhD viva, the one thing my PhD supervisor said to me, it was the talking bit is the bit I'm not worried about with you. <laughs> it, was the, it was the writing, it was the research, it was getting in the lab, it was doing all that stuff. You know, the theorizing and the talking, he's like, you've got that nailed. He's like, of all my PhD students, you they, now I've got you to this point, I'm least worried about you, which was kind of nice to hear. He probably said that to everybody, but it was still nice to hear anyway. Um, but you get it the other way as well, where you've got academics or people who want to be academic or have got academic credentials who struggle to PT, and you get good PTs who then go the other way. And, you know, as they go through, like Lee just said, they get this, they, they're good people. So they get clients, they get retention and they want to serve those clients better. So they actually, uh, some of the, some people I mental, good friends of mine have gone the other way now where probably, um, uh, one gentleman who's a good friend of mine, Danny. Um, so if he's watching this, Danny, nice to see you, mate. He used to train at me in the same gym when I was uh, many, many moons ago. And this was a proper bodybuilding gym, like, you know, spit and sawdust. It was known locally as the meathead shed. Um, so yeah, nice name for a gym. And like we we never spoke then, but he was just he went to PT in and now he's probably wasn't the most academic and he'd freely admit that. But now he's gone the other way, so he's you know he's done a few qualifications and now he's looking at doing the ISSN um nutrition qualification because he's gained that confidence. But what drives that is that he wants to service his clients. It's not driven from a an ego perspective about knowledge, it's not driven from a um any other perspective than he wants to serve his clients better. And that's, I think that's a really nice thing. And, you know, if, if, if people are trainers out there and all you want to do is train people because you train and you don't actually have a true desire to help people, then, yeah, it might last you so long, but you'll be out of the industry in two or three years because even if, cause if, you, if you, that's what you're doing it for, you won't want to do it because it's not going to give you the rewards that you think it's going to give you. Um, you know, and that's why 
you know, I, I was coaching certain populations, and as much as I love working with those guys, it's just not. It didn't. It didn't turn me on. It didn't like get me. You know, the passion. It didn't. Challenging isn't the right word because it was challenging, but there was something about certain populations I just don't want to work with anymore. Because if I don't want to work with them, I can't service them as a coach, and then that's not fair because they're spending money on me, and that's not a population I want to work with. So that's vastly unfair. So, you know, I think sometimes we have to have a bit of self-honesty and not just grab money off people because we need to do in business, we need to do things that we're passionate about. Hopefully that will make us money. And if you can align those two things like Lee's done with a lot of what he does and what I do most of the time, then, you know, it, it works out a better for you in the long run, physically, mentally, and financially. But then moving on to probably my next point for you guys, obviously with us talking about TRA now, this is probably a good point question to ask. What are some of the upcoming events that you've got in the pipeline or more specifically ones that you'd like people to know about from a non-sales perspective? I'm not probably not worded that question very well. Yeah, I know, I know what you mean. I know what you're getting at. Um, so we have the, the next big name we have. So NSCA personal trainer of the year multiple times um, is Nick Tomanello. So we're flying him over from the US. So we're doing a two-day thing with Sheffield with him um, on the 23rd and 24th of February. Don't want to make this too salesy. Um, and then we've got we've got a couple of names lined up, but we don't want to announce anything until contracts are signed because these things can come bite you in the ass. Um, so yeah, we've got some things lined up in May. On a personal level, uh, myself and Lee are actually speaking in Dublin. In when is it, Lee? I've got no idea. My you know diaries in March. I think it's twenty third. Twenty third. See, I don't even know what, what what weekend I'm where. This is why I need Lee around me. He just tells me where. <laughs> this is very true. <laughs> uh, yeah, I spend a lot. Lee just sits there all day. That's his little. You know, he goes between there and university, and that's it. I just buzz around all over the place. So I don't know whether I'm coming or going. We. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Go on. I was just going to say we've been invited. So the reason why we're over in Dublin is we're speaking at University College Dublin on behalf of uh, our friend David Nolan, who runs Synapse Performance. Um, he he's running a fantastic looking event, all based around uh, coaching development. So for new PTs, new coaches, um, just to kind of get experiences from us who have all come from different backgrounds. Um, our good friend Arthur Lynch, he is um, also talking. He works for Sigma Nutrition. And also works at City Gym as well, um, as well as Garben, who also works for Sigma Nutrition and, and I believe owns or runs City Gym in Limerick. Um, so we're delighted that we've been invited to go and speak with those guys and probably enjoy a Guinness or two afterwards and a long flight home. Um, <laughs> so that'll be a cool event. So if anyone is out that way, then come along. Um, it'd be good to see you there. And we're looking forward to it. And I think. You know, we talk about benefits of, of owning a business and TRA not being profit-driven, but I think we, we've, we've got a lot of benefit indirectly from TRA in that, like Paul said right at the beginning of this podcast, not a lot of people in fitness know who we are because we're not really that driven to build our own brands as such. We kind of were happy doing what we do in the background, but we are kind of emerging now as names in, to the point of, you know, we, we spoke at Body Power last year, which was pretty cool although very strange from, you know, I'm used to, I'm used to teaching in air conditioned silent classrooms, you know, body power is completely different. Lots of lights, lots of house music, lots of half naked people. Very off putting when you're trying to talk around what, what do we do? Like menstrual cycles. Yeah. yeah. Female health and menstrual cycle impacts on like training and nutrition. And then you've got, 
the, the, the people before that was like a posing coach who just had like women in bikinis walking up and down. It's like, is this, is this the same message on this stage you're trying to get across? It was a bit, it was a bit surreal, really. Sorry, mate. I was going to say that's where we've benefited is that we uh, we're just enjoying it and we're kind of getting these indirect benefits like getting invited to really cool projects like this and um, being invited to co-author papers. We, we've actually got our first paper coming out hopefully soon, haven't we? Um, in February, I think it's up for second peer review. Um, it'll not be a TRA paper, but it'll be the first time that Paul and I have appeared on an academic paper together, although we've published individually on our, our own merits. So that'll be cool. So it's just like kind of really weird stuff that we do. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's the connection side of things as well. So even from like a, a selfish personal perspective, um, if I was applying to get on a certain board, you know, like a certain association, which, you know, we talk about this idea of qualifications you mentioned before. And like, sometimes you've got to jump through hoops and it can kind of be a bit frustrating, but actually my perspective used to be like kind of very much like, Oh, well, I've got a PhD. Why do I need to do this, this, and this? I've actually got to go back to university to do some modules to get on a certain accreditation, not going to name drop or anything like that, but I need to do it. And it was frustrating because academically and what I've taught and what I do professionally, if I could just present that in a, in a, in a CV, it should be fine. But actually what I realized is, you know, yes, it is frustrating to jump through hoops, but actually what you're doing is you're protect, protecting your credentials so other people can't just say, well, I do what you do. You know, this whole thing about being a nutritionist, it's not a protected title. So it's someone with no, someone could leave school at 16, go and sell Herbalife or some nonsense and go, I'm a nutritionist. And to the general population, that means nothing. So by jumping through certain hoop, hoops, yes, it's frustrating. Yes, it may be cost money and time and effort and stress and all that stuff. But what you're actually doing, if you view it from a, what you're doing is you're protecting your profession. You're protecting your professionalism. By doing that, you're opening up avenues to access populations that you wouldn't normally be able to access. So as a sports nutritionist, if you're not on the, say, center register, you're not working with any Olympic athletes or any football associations or anything like that. You're just not. Okay, so you can call yourself a performance nutritionist as much as you want, but if you don't have those credentials, you're not working with those athletes. You might be able to blag a few sports where maybe there aren't those or those those bodies in place, governing bodies in place that make sure the nutritionists are appropriately qualified. Um, and I certainly work with those kind of athletes, so it's not a judgment on that. It's how I got my start in this industry, working with bodybuilders and and all that kind of thing. So it's not a judgment. But if you want to separate yourself from the herd then a certain level of accreditation helps with that because it used to have got a piece of paper to wave in people's faces and say, look, actually, I've, I have the academic and practical experience to back up my Instagram page or my, my business page. So um, from that perspective, TRA has given us those connections as well so that we've actually got, you know, kind of not insider information. Um, but if we, if we need connections within that as well from a, from a, from a selfish personal development, we get, we get the best advice, almost kind of free mentoring from it because of the people that we've met. So if I've got any questions about performance nutrition or accessing that market, I can drop Lauren a message or Gary Mendoza a message and just say, oh, what's your opinion on this? You know? So even attending these things gives you those opportunities as well, regardless of whether you sit there and just go, this is over my head. You know, meeting those people is, is a beautiful thing because most of them, all of them actually, I think everyone we've had is is pretty cool if you just reach out to them and, you know, if they've got the time, they'll, they'll speak to you. That's something I found um, through TRA and personally as well in terms of development of, of knowledge is the people that are right at the top, if they have time and you want to ask them a question, they'll, they'll reply and they will give you as much help as possible. 
the people that kind of think they're at the top, but they're nowhere near the top. They're driven by ego. Those are the ones that will say, well, I'll answer it, but you're going to have to pay for my time. And so the reason why I'm mentioning that is that if there are people listening to this who think, should I drop a message to that person? Should I not? Just have a go. You'd be surprised at how many people will actually answer the question that, that you want to know the answer to. And that's why I will always answer and he never does. Well, unless you pay him. Yeah, Paul will answer, but he'll be like three months later. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be three months later. I'll be sent to the wrong. I'll be the only thing I'll be with. So, yeah. <laughs> but I think it's the same. I think from, a say, even this perspective, the podcast is a very useful tool for obviously me, the host, because I'm able to ask the first-hand question. It's probably a little bit of bias to some extent because, like, well, it's my question, so it's generally going to be for for me the answer. But I think if I transgress and and put it from a school perspective, I was quite standoffish and say, well, I won't ask this question be it in a school environment or classroom environment, a lecture environment, because somebody else will. And the likelihood of that happening, as you probably know with your students, Lee, is probably very slim. The, the likelihood of, well, what, what on average, say 60, 70 people, maybe plus, in a lecture theatre, the same person having the same uh, thought process that you're actually thinking of, maybe 1%, maybe, maybe even smaller than that, if you're lucky. So it's having probably the brazenship to not be afraid to what you perceive to be a stupid question. It's like, well, if it's not asked, you, you won't, you won't know the answer and you'll, you, you leave that whole, whole none the wiser. So if, if you did ask it, okay, like you mentioned, Paul, it may, it may go over your head, but at least you've got some senses. Okay. I've got a little bit of an understanding of this. Let me at least go away and fine tune that so I can utilize it in a practical sense or I'm better able to comprehend it if I want to further that knowledge than not asking it at all. And you're kind of, well, come from that stoic sense that we, t- we talked about earlier where you're stuck, where you, you're sat, where you, you, well, you're still sitting where you, you were at the beginning of the day. So you've not moved. So yeah. it's having that, uh, no fear approach as well, and I and I've probably coined it a lot recently on social, on Facebook more specifically. Well, what have you got to lose? It's nothing. Yeah, and and to and as the Stoics would would say as well, don't worry if you if you're worried about speaking out for looking foolish, then you shouldn't because the opinions of others shouldn't matter. It shouldn't impact you. You know, if you live your best life, you'll know all this jargon. If you live your best life and you live a virtuous life and you do the things that make you fundamentally happy and progress you, then other people shouldn't matter too much. And I think that's, that's kind of a nice message. Um, generally speaking for people who are out there who maybe do fear about doing certain things professionally or, or changing tack or taking a bit of a calculated risk, not just talking blase risk, you know, there's got to be some thought behind it. Um, is to take those things because at the end of the day, you know, um, you only really get one attempt at, at this existence. So you might as well try and, try and do something with it that, you know, is, is, is going to make you happy and not just uh, kind of just go day to day waiting to retire and then, you know, sit around in your pants until you're dead. Um, 
That was a morbid way to end it, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think uh, I think yeah, you're right. I think you know one of the, the the biggest things to do is just just have some confidence to ask the question, just do it in a respectful way, and and one of the things when I was very much younger, um. I used to get really frustrated when I didn't understand something and I would quit on something straight away. If you look at my early work career, it was very much like I'd do something quite challenging for a few months and then I just I couldn't do it. I was frustrated or I wasn't mature enough or whatever it was, personality, emotionally, whatever, I couldn't cope with certain things. And actually, you know, people are more capable than they think they are. They just need to sometimes be persistent. Like I think there's a, an assumption that we like in the industry in particular to make things look easier than they are. And I think, you know, like, and even maybe the way that me and Lee have spoken today at times we seem quite blase and relaxed about it sometimes yes there's moments of stress and you know we'll laugh and joke and stuff and you know we talk about it's difficult to articulate for example the PhD experience it's like yeah, yeah so when we discussed that at the start it's oh yeah so I did my degree and then I did this and I did the PhD and then that doesn't explain that process of not just what I learned academically but what I learned about myself and People go, oh, well, it's easy for you now because you've got a doctorate, so clients will want to work with you because you've got the PhD. And it's like, okay, you have no frame of reference of what that took out of me, not just in terms of academically how hard it was, but a lot of stuff that was going on. You know, everyone has that personal stuff to work through and, and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, I, I think it's very easy to kind of, as, as an outsider, to kind of look and think, I can't do that, or, or that's easy. And then when it gets hard, just quit. When actually what you need to do is just knuckle down, double down on your efforts and, and ask for help when you need to. Um, as long as you have the critical thinking skills to know that the advice that you're getting is for your benefit and not to line someone else's pocket, which again, you know, is, is can be an issue in the industry as well. And I think, well, you've probably answered my, 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 my penultimate question anyway, Paul. So I'll ask it to you, Lee. If you wanted to get somebody to either change or challenge their perception of their mindset, how would you get them to do that? Get out of your comfort zone. I think it's it's too easy to exist a comfortable life without challenges, without issues, without problems. That you learn certain things that don't come from textbooks. So that's ironic, and as a you know, doing what I do, the majority comes from textbooks. But uh, I I was a kind of kid in school that would do anything to get out of reading in front of groups, like social anxiety, like massive issue and things like that. And, it wasn't to the point where I was like, I, I have a message that I want to give people. I want to educate people. If I'm going to do that, I need to get over this anxiety of something that probably won't. In my mind, I'm thinking I'm going to start reading. And I'm probably going to wet my pants or something. I don't know. It's like something crazy. Like what? That's just never going to happen. But you just get these issues, these stresses about potential stresses, right? Just something that we've evolved to do. It wasn't until I actually went, you know what, right? I'm going to go and do my assessor's course for personal training. I'm going to go and do my teaching course. I'm just going to get in a group of people and I'm going to talk and I'm going to see what happens. And if my throat gets dry, if I pass out, uh, if something bad happens, you know what? Like at least I've tried it rather than worrying about something that might never happen. Luckily for me, I seem to be okay at talking. Um, so it's worked out all right. But if I'd have not got out of my comfort zone, I would have never known that. So that's my mindset kind of tip is just to try something. If it doesn't work, you learn from it because I have made many mistakes in my life. All right. We'll keep that off the podcast. But there's certain things that have worked in my benefit because I've tried it. And my final question to you both before we wrap up the episode, if you had to summarize what we've been speaking about today into one sentence for people to take away, 
what would that be? And who wants to go first on that one? Go on, Paul. Oh, cheers, mate. Thanks for that. I would say today we've talked about um, the different pathways that you can be successful within the fitness industry and you don't necessarily need to come from an academic background or be particularly academically interested to be a good coach. Um, we've talked a little bit about how networking and taking uh, opportunities to educate yourself has benefits for both clients, you personally, and, uh, and, uh, and for your business. And then I think we flirted a little bit with some mindset stuff about not you know, having confidence and not trying to be a negative person within the industry and that being a more positive thing for yourself rather than um, being pulled into the pettiness that can sometimes take place and focusing your energy instead on your business, yourself and your clients, as opposed to focusing your energy on trying to be a Facebook keyboard warrior. That's a long sentence. No, sorry. We said this at the start. I can't do one sentence answers. You know this. That's why you're going last, Lee. Yeah, I can't I just, do that, this. Why, mate, that's why I wanted you to go first, because I knew you talked for a while. It gives me more time to think of something. I know. I uh, so I, I will leave you with this one. And that would be um, in coaching that knowledge is use, useless unless you can apply it to your clients. I think that's a great one to finish on, Lee. So once again, Lee and Paul, thanks again for coming on the Mindset Game podcast. Thank you very much for having us on. Really enjoyed it. Was it yeah, a bit, bit different to what we normally talk about, but that's pretty cool. It's nice to have a different discussion. Oh, the pleasure's been all mine. If you like this episode, please do share it with your friends and do let Lee, Paul and I know what you thought of the episode by tagging us over on Instagram at PhD at Lee3ELL, at TRA Performance and at James or Roberts 11 on Twitter and Facebook. And do check out their TRA website, www www.traperformanceeducation.com for the upcoming event with Nick Tumanello. And again, do check out my free content at fitamputee.co.uk forward slash free dash resources. Make sure to check out those links. They will be in the description. You can find all the show notes at mindsetgame.lipsim.com under the category fitness once again thanks for listening and i'll catch you again next time for another episode of the mindset game podcast